0: My name is Vikram, and welcome to episode 9 of Exploring Astrophysics. This episode, I spoke with Dr. Constance Mahoney, who is a postdoctoral researcher who is using gravitational lensing to uncover the mysteries behind dark matter and dark energy. So, let's begin. What part of astrophysics do you enjoy the most?
1: It's a very difficult question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, My favorite thing about my job is probably getting to learn new things all the time. Like, I mean, certainly during your PhD, you learn a huge amount. Um, And I'm in my first postdoc now. And you still, you know, every week (laughs) you learn new things. And I mean, that's a really great thing about this job.
0: What exactly is the research that you currently do as a postdoc?
1: So I work at the German Center for Cosmological Lensing which is based in Bochum, in germany and um we're focused on on gravitational lensing which it's a technique designed to learn about dark matter and dark energy mm-hmm. um you know the two big big open questions in cosmology um and yeah i mean so i mean i can go into gravitational lensing if you'd like <laughs> um,
0: yeah sure if that's fine
1: so you know so the idea is that you know five percent of the universe we can see that's you know normal matter um 25 is dark matter which we can't see it doesn't interact with light you know it only interacts gravitationally and then the other 70 percent is dark energy which pushes against gravity but we know very little about it um so essentially the way weak lensing works is you learn about dark matter by looking at, looking at normal matter and seeing the impact. So, I mean, we're on audio, but it's like a good, a good example I've heard is if you're looking, if you're, so the idea is you've got a galaxy really, really far away. And it's light from that galaxy travels to the telescope that we've got here on earth and it gets deflected by dark matter as it travels. Um, So it gets kind of distorted. So I've seen it compared to like, if you look through a wine glass at the bottom and the light from the other side looks kind of, you know, smeared out, um, that's what you get in your galaxy images. You see these like weird distortions and that tells you where the dark matter is.
0: Is it a case that, so when you detect this image, is it that there's like a magnification in terms of brightness or is it like, just a distortion in the image that you see?
1: There's both. So on one aspect, you have, yeah, changes to the shape, which you can measure, and then you also have changes to the size, um, which you can measure as well.
0: What exactly is it in gravitational lensing that you do? Is it like just looking for events or something different?
1: You essentially, you map like millions and millions of galaxies. and so it's actually you measure it statistically um, because it's it's very difficult. Um, so so like there's two types. So strong gravitational lensing is when you can actually see it. Like you've got an image of a galaxy and it looks all distorted. Um, and weak gravitational lensing, which is what I work on, is it's it's very mild. So if you looked at a galaxy image, you wouldn't actually be able to tell by eye. Um, you have to measure it statistically. So that means you need like, you know, millions, billions of galaxies. And then you look at the way they're arranged. Um, So, I mean, most people look at how their shapes are orientated. um, Because most galaxies are kind of elliptical shaped and then yeah, you see, you see where they're pointing and the assumption is that they should be randomly pointing randomly in different directions, but um, You know, they don't, (laughs) and that's where you know there's dark matter.
0: (laughs) So, what exactly is this theory behind dark matter and why it's influencing like these galaxies? Is there any ideas, or is it still a vague concept?
1: It's a massive unknown. Um, yeah, I mean, we just know that it's there essentially, (laughs) we know that it's there because it has an impact on things that we look at in the sky. Um, and I mean. There are lots of like particle physics experiments trying to learn about like to actually find a dark matter particle. Mm-hmm. Um, but they haven't found anything yet.
0: So you mentioned observing is this just through like telescopes and then them gathering light and then using the data from that or is there other sources.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's literally just you've got, you know, a giant telescope light reflects off the mirror goes into the camera and then you take those images. And then a lot of processing happens <laughs> until you get to a, a kind of catalogue of galaxies and you know of like positions and exactly where they are and then you you do your analysis on that mm-hmm.
0: so when you say analysis is that coding and so is that is that also what you're doing is trying to write code to analyze this stuff or
1: yeah i i code every single day um, i yeah i'm essentially a coder Like i i do the odd bit of pen and paper like I'll you know if i want to figure out how to do something i'll read a, a paper that's been published and i might go through the equations um but yeah my I essentially it's is coding
0: <laughs> yeah is this your main bit of research that you've done in like the field of astrophysics or in your phd did you do something slightly different
1: um in my phd i i looked at so what you said right at the beginning whether it's sizes and shapes um of, you know, you look for distortions. Most people look at the shape, like how those are happening. And in my PhD, I looked at using the sizes. So like as an extra technique, can you look at the sizes of galaxies to measure the same effect? Um, And the reason you care about that is, you know, you get different errors, like systematic errors. Um, Even if you've got two measurement techniques, you can compare them. So that's the idea. Um, So that was very weak lensing. And then I also, I actually did a PhD um, in Cosmoparticle Physics. So my other project was on neutrinos, Mm -hmm. um, which are kind of invisible, very light particles. (laughs) And um, yeah, that was was a totally different project.
0: So did this project with the uh, size of the galaxies, was that successful? Like, is that now used as an alternate measurement or?
1: Well, we found that it's actually not got enough power okay. to be used. So that, that was the outcome of the research. It was essentially, we, couldn't, we didn't think it had enough power to be you know, useful as a, an extra probe. Um, but the thing we did find is that it probably can help, help you with your systematics. So you wouldn't do like a separate analysis of the shapes, oh, sorry, of the sizes, but you might do a joint thing with the shapes and the sizes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So could you uh, elaborate a bit on the neutrino research that you did? That sounds really interesting as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I haven't actually thought about neutrinos for a while, but um, essentially, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where to start. (laughs) Essentially, do you know the standard model?
0: Yeah. um...
1: Yeah. So like the, the current model of particle physics and it doesn't include massive neutrinos. Um, in that model neutrinos um, don't, are massless um, but um, it's been found that neutrinos actually do have mass from experiments so that's kind of a huge you know uh, difference from the current model so that's like a big change and one so everyone's really excited everyone wants to learn more about neutrinos um, and as a result, you know, you can learn about them in lots of different ways. So you can learn about them from like cosmology, um, cause they affect how essentially structures in the universe evolve. And you can also learn about them from particle physics, you know, at like CERN, for example. Um, and so you've got all this different data and essentially my project was looking at how best to combine all that different data. Um, because, yeah, you can't just add it together because they all have loads of assumptions in them. Yeah. So you need to kind of go through and, like, you know, figure out what assumptions each experiment is making and then make them unified so that then you can combine them together.
0: That's really interesting. So mm-hmm. just going back to um, your more recent, uh, recent work with, like, lensing, were there any, like, setbacks or challenges in your work in, in your coding, perhaps, and were they easily overcome or are there, are there still like problems in the way? It's I mean,
1: all the time. <laughs> like that's a, a very big part of um, being a scientist. Like there, are, you know, you're, you're doing new stuff or you're, you know, at the very least you're doing stuff that is new to you. Um, mm-hmm. So there's always problems. <laughs> like no, nothing ever works straight out of the box.
0: <laughs> were there any, like, what are some of the examples of problems? Were any of them like really big that, put a halt on your work or something or took a while to overcome perhaps.
1: Yeah. I mean, a really big, um, one thing that took a long time in my PhD was, I don't know, essentially there was a, there was a little factor in my code, like just an ill number. Um, and it was wrong, <laughs> but it pops up all across the code. So you have to pick through, you know, this huge code base that you've built up over like a year or whatever. Um, and you have to pick through and find exactly exactly where that is and where it 's going wrong, uh, and that took about a month <laughs> Wow, so you know you can have things that are really small and you just you just have to pick through them methodically.
0: yeah what kind of results have you gotten from your research so far, and what results do you think you 'll get in the future based on how progress is happening do you think
1: so the really big thing in weak lensing right now is um, Essentially, there's a, there's maybe a tension between different types of experiments. So, there's a prediction from um, cosmic microwave background experiments. So, experiments that look at the like radiation released just after the Big Bang, um, and they find that the universe is more clumpy than weak lensing does. And really, if our model is correct, you would expect them to find the same thing. Um, but consistently, weak lensing experiments are finding that, that the universe is less clumpy than predicted. So that's like a big excitement right now. Like a lot of the conferences I go to are about, you know, why is this happening? What's the cause? Um, and I mean, the reason people are excited is because it it could be new physics, which is obviously always what, what people are excited about. But it might also be a systematic effect that you haven't accounted for in your data. So the future work is really kind of making, shrinking the error bars on the results even more to see actually if there is this kind of discrepancy. Cause right now the errors are just about big enough that you can't conclusively say, you know, they're different, what's going wrong. You know? So we need to get to that level. That's kind of the future, future work.
0: So uh, you mentioned clumping, is that just the spread of normal matter in the universe and that it's perhaps too dense or, or not dense enough to what's measured?
1: Yeah, it's it's all matter. So it's both light matter, you know, like galaxies and then the dark matter. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, essentially what you're saying when you say it's less clumpy is you're just saying the universe is more smooth. So clumpy would be, you know lot, you know, lots of very high density regions, like very high density galaxies and clusters. Um, But we don't see that, we see it a bit smoother.
0: Uh, How exactly are you plan like is the plan to reduce errors? Is it just a matter of more sophisticated telescopes and equipment or is it something to do with like processing power or processing the data more efficiently?
1: Um, so, I mean, there's a number of things. So yes, better telescopes. I mean, right now I work on one called the kilo degree survey, um, which is a current telescope. And in the future, well, actually, I'm also working in preparation for the Vera Rubin observatory legacy survey of space and time, which is essentially bigger telescope, a lot more galaxies. So you reduce your errors. Um, but actually one of the big limitations right now is in the modeling because you need to be able to model the signal and all the things, other things that are happening to it very, very precisely um, to reduce your errors. Because if you can't, if you've got some uncertainty in your modeling, that has to be included um, in your error bars.
0: So what exactly do you mean by modeling the signal? Is that, what does it mean?
1: Yeah, okay. So there's many, many aspects to this. Um, So, I mean, a big thing is, so in order to, um, assess the amount of dark matter you need to know how far away a galaxy is um, you know from from the distance from the earth to the galaxy because what you want to do is map where they are um, and that 's quite easy to do in 2 d because you know you take a picture and you can essentially look at the picture, but you want that 3 d you know that distance as well where you 're looking out from the earth and that 's called redshift um, and that is a big doing that accurately is really really hard. Um, Essentially, you, you look at the colors of that galaxy and you see if they've been shifted, to the, how much they've been shifted to the red region, of the spectrum. And, you know, if you want to do that for like five galaxies, it's really easy. Um, you can, you know, do a very high precision result. But if you've got, you know, billions, you have to do a much coarser measurement So that means there's some uncertainty in that distance yeah and that's you know that all has to be modeled and that's one of the the uncertainties
0: (laughs) okay great yeah so uh so you you seem to speak that dark matter and dark energy is like a certainty so are you convinced that they do exist and we just haven't detected them yet or are you still open to other theories
1: I'm definitely, definitely the evidence right now, you know, there's, there's not, there's more than one piece of evidence for dark matter. Um, I mean, yeah, so I, I think I'm fairly convinced that it does exist, but I mean, I'm not really, I'm, all I'm saying is that there is something else (laughs) in the universe. Like I, I'm not saying I know anything about it, like who knows what it will end up being. Um, it just, it does seem that there is something else out there, which we don't understand. And I mean, dark energy, who on earth knows what that is? I don't think anyone really does.
0: <laughs> and uh, for my last question, I just want to ask, what sort of developments do you think your research could lead to? So say you, your uh, models do become, you do um, become refined to a point where you can say for a certainty, like the galaxies where they are. So what, what do you think that could lead to in the future of astrophysics?
1: Well, if you shrink the error bars and you find that there's still this, you know, this big tension um, between the early universe measurements, which is the cosmic microwave background, and then the late time measurements, which is weak lensing, then essentially, if you found that difference, what you're saying is that you don't understand how the universe evolved. Because in order to compare them, you have to evolve the early universe measurements to be on the same, you know, footing as the late time. And you're basically saying we don't understand that process. So it's essentially would be, uh, you know, we we don't understand how the universe evolved. We thought we did, but actually there's a there's a huge unknown. So that would be very exciting.
0: Okay, uh, well thank you very much for speaking to me. On that note, I guess. All right. So yeah, thank you very much. It was very interesting learning about your research.